say c'est bon. Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm your host, Paige Donner. For the next half hour, I'll be presenting to you news, happenings, and personalities from Paris's extraordinary culinary world. So sit back and get ready to enjoy a full half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine. Like those French people do. Because it's all so good. This episode of Paris Good Food and Wine pays tribute to the biannual Bordeaux wine event known to the trade as Vin Expo. It's taking place this month, and for the first time ever, wines from the United States will be in the spotlight. Still, that didn't stop me from making a little pre jaunt down to this famous part of France to do some tasting on my own. Well, accompanied by my father, to be more precise. Two of the most memorable tastings were at Chateau Pichon Longville Comtesse de Lalande in Poyac, where I was afforded the privilege of speaking with Nicolas Glumineau, the winemaker and director of these esteemed left bank Bordeaux cellars and vineyards. That segment is the one that begins our show this month. The other most memorable Bordeaux vineyard visit was to Chateau Le Fleur in Pomerol on Bordeaux's right bank. My host there, Omri Ram, explains the extraordinary vein of distinct geological composition that cuts through this mythical property and from which they make their Le Ponce Le Fleur wine, quite apart from the estate's signature Chateau Le Fleur. Keeping with the theme of all things drinkable, Donnie Bilo, founding editor of the website Girl's Guide to Paris, checked in with us to talk about her forthcoming book, Paris Cocktails, and give us her inside scoop on the vibrant Paris cocktail bar scene. Next, Good Food and Wine brings you the very apropos in-studio interview with Chef Excoffier, who spent a dozen years as the executive chef at the American Embassy here in Paris. His new restaurant, Restaurant Philippe Excoffier, is offering diners a real July 4th dinner and also some themed dining options inspired by the dinners he presented to dignitaries and other VIPs during his years working for the U.S. Ambassador to France. So stay tuned for this month's episode of Paris, Good Food and Wine with me, your host and producer, Paige Donner. Chicago, Chicago is my home. Say Chicago, Chicago is my home. But I'm going back to Paris, that's where I belong. Oh baby, come along with me. Oh baby, come along with me. I feel so good, good as I can be. Wine Spectator magazine, the premier media brand for the wine industry, and Vin Expo, which hosts the world's preeminent wine and spirits exhibitions, 
have partnered to sponsor a special tasting on Monday, June 15th at VinExpo 2015. Titled Global Connections, the tasting will feature fine wines from the United States and around the world. It will showcase 30 wine companies, each of whom will present wines from two of their estates, one in the U.S., the other from abroad. On Tuesday, June 16th, Wine Spectator will present a panel discussion called Inside the U.S. Wine Market, where industry experts will offer ideas on how international wineries can improve or alternatively can begin their business in America. Chateau Pichon Longville, Comtesse de Lalande, is owned now by Roterer. The man who sits at the head of this wine empire had the foresight, along with his father, to invest in vineyards in California early on. And this property of theirs, here in Bordeaux, just on the border of Poillac and Saint-Julien, is one of the most remarkable wine estates in the world. So here we're sitting at the technical facilities overlooking the beautiful uh, vines of Pichon Comtesse. And I have the great pleasure of sitting next to Mr. Nicolas Glumineau, who is the winemaker for this fabled house. And uh, I know that you've had um, quite an illustrious career al- already. Can you just give us a, just a, a, you know, a few highlights of, of how you came to be here? Uh, well, I do live in Bordeaux. Uh, for 25 years now. Uh, I've studied twice. First time I studied genetics applied to enology. So I, I started a PhD a few years ago. Uh, well, obviously 15 years ago. And I studied a second time in Montpellier to become an engineer specialized in agronomics and winemaker. So um, I trained myself or I, I um, studied the winemaking at Chateau Aubryon in 2005, Chateau Margaux in 2006. Then I became the um, technical director of Chateau Moros in Saint-Estèphe between 2007 and 2012. Then I jumped uh, from Moros to, uh, to Pichon Comtesse uh, in 2012 to, to run the estate and, um, and to make wine as well. So it's, uh, I feel very honored and lucky to be here. As I'm sure the rest of the world would agree with you that <laughs> to, have, to have this prestigious and very creative position too. You know, ha- having just taken a, a brief walk around this absolutely gleaming and stunning new technical and vinification center, everything has been designed for such precision. And I guess if you arrived here in 2012, you would have taken the reins right at the time uh, when these new facilities were inaugurated uh, or thereabouts. I wonder if you could speak a little bit to that, Nicola. And then also, how does this impact your approach to to your winemaking, these facilities? Well, when Rederer, the Champagne-Louis Rederer, bought the estate, uh, it was late 2006, the first made a geological map of the vineyard in order to adapt their, restru- um, their replanting plan to, for the next few years, uh, adapting each plot or kind of, of piece of terroir to uh, roots and, uh, and grapes. So the second step was to, to try to uh, vinify each plot or each part of terroir uh, individually. So uh, in 2012, has been decided to crush the old um, the old cuvery down 
and then to rebuild the new one. Uh, and four main um, items are very important for us. First of all, we at last make the harvest using boxes, uh, which is not a revolution in the wine industry, but for us it is. Um, then uh, we can feel the different tanks, thanks to gravity. The less we pump the harvest, the better it is in order to, to respect the, uh, the quality of the fruit and the precision of the aromatic expression. We can vinify each plot individually, so that means that uh, we prefer blending a few, I mean, several wines, 50 to 60 different wines, than trying to blend different plots before the vinification. And at the end of the day, we use mostly uh, conical shape tanks, which is very important in terms of uh, extraction and in terms of maintaining the balance between the aromatic structure of the grapes and the tannic structure of the wine. Um, this is so important when, when you, you make wine at Pichon Comtesse because in our neighborhood, uh, we have beautiful vineyards and beautiful wines are, are produced here, but uh, most of them are, are very masculine, very massive and full body wines. And our unique character is in the balance between a very Poyac style wine and a very Comtesse, very racy, very um, graceful, aromatic and complexity, which is very Comtesse. That's beautifully expressed. Um, going, shifting over to the consumer side of things, what can you, uh, what what tips can you give consumers when we're when we're looking for your bottles of wine now on on the on the shelf? I mean, what what years can we can we buy to drink now, and what can we buy to put in the cellar? Well, today uh, the 2007 is opening up. The O4 is ready to drink. The O3 is, is still very good to drink or to sit on it. It's a very fresh wine, the 2003 uh, Pichon Comtesse, despite of the fact it was the, uh, the last year of the, of the heat wave and despite of the fact that most of the uh, wines made in Bordeaux this vintage are already not gone, but uh, they are very mature. Our 2003 is still a teenager, I should say. Uh, and then, before 2003, uh, wines are good to drink. Today, um, the 06, the 09 and 10, and the, the youngest vintages, um, you have to, to, to wait before drinking, of course. And, um, but I, I think that the, the, the main challenge we, we have to deal with, and that's why I love the 2014 uh, Pichon Lalande, is that um, we have to to try to open the, the tasting window um, of our wines. I, I don't mean that we want to make lighter wines, but because we are very careful and very sensitive with the uh, ripeness of tannins, because we are very uh, careful with the balance I, I did talk about previously, I think all wines are earlier ready to drink, and in the same time, we can age them for decades. We are used to say that good wines are always ready to drink. So uh, that's why you should buy a few cases and every year you open one bottle. That's some of the best wine advice I've heard ever. Th thank you so much, Mr. Glumino. My pleasure.
Next up, my interview at Chateau Le Fleur Pomerol. Here in Pomerol, we're talking with Henri Gram, who is part of the team of Chateau Le Fleur. And he was just explaining to us the um, very particular diagonal that cuts across this legendary, mythical terroir here in Pomerol, from which you create your Le Pensée. Can you explain that a little, a little bit again from the, from the geological perspective? No problem. So in this vineyard of, of La Fleur of four and a half hectare, we actually have a, a stretch of, of land that's uh, about 0.7 hectare, which used to be an old river. So it's the richer, uh, more clay part of La Fleur. And it's quite different than the rest of La Fleur. Uh, so we planted more Merlot, and we see there's a very different character to the to the wine that we make from this parcel. So it's not the easiest parcel to, to work because it cuts through all the other parcels of La Fleur. Um, but we do work it differently than the rest, uh, meaning we stop at some a certain point of the row and we change our method of working just because the terroir changed at that point. And um, from 99, this is the heart of the of what we used to call the second wine of La Fleur. Today we call it our second cru. So it's another parcel with another character, but it's not second to La Fleur in quality. It's just different in, in taste, in character, in personality. And from 99, as I said, we make our Ponce de La Fleur from this parcel. And um, how, how does, I mean, uh, you just described, you alluded to the fact that it was an ancient riverbed, but um, in, and in terms of quality um, of soil and just, the makeup of the soil, and then also what you've planted on that, you know, how is it, how is it, it's like, it's like a vein that runs through your, your property. Exactly, exactly. And um, we tend to say that if you want to taste our Pomerol wine, you have to taste Le Pensé and not La Fleur. La Fleur is, is something very different with this uh, very gravelly, uh, clay, sandy soil. And it's very different from the neighbors. If you want to taste something that is more in the in the heart of, of a Pomerol wine, you have to taste Le Ponce, which stays exactly on that, as you say, like a vine that runs from La Fleur Petrus to Ozana on the other side. And it's much more similar to the terroir of, of the Moex properties or, or Le Pain than to our property, the rest of La Fleur. So we have two brothers, but they're very different, the two, the two brothers. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, we, we adore that. We love that, that we have this, we, the opportunity to make two different wines. And it really started as, as, as a second wine of selection, of making the first wine better. But with the years, as we gain more knowledge, first intuitively, and then with the soil studies that we made, we came to know our, our vineyard so good that we can definitely say there's two different vineyards in one vineyard, actually. And we have to make two different wines. It's not a choice. We have to do it. So that's about it for Le Ponce. Thank you so much, Amri. That was, that was a very um, uh, revealing explanation, you know, in terms of uh, it, it gives you uh, quite an insight into, into again, you know, this, this mythical property. Thank you. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine here on World Radio Paris. Okay, well, I have the, it's a completely fun opportunity to sit here in the 
depths of Ruda Bukir <laughs> with Dani Bilo, who is the editor-in-chief and founder of Girl's Guide to Paris. And she has a forthcoming book called Paris Cocktails. So set the scene for us a little bit because um, this is a, a, a fabulous place. Tell us the name of it and what's on their cocktail menu. So we're here at Lockwood, which is a fairly new bar opened about a year ago in uh, the second arrondissement of Paris, thanks to uh, Julien, the owner. It's a really cool place. Um, just been to unbelievably about 40 bars in the last six weeks. So this was one of my favorites, and it's going to be in the book, and it's a uh, Two stories. So on the first floor, it's a coffee shop during the day. Then it turns into an Italian aperitivo bar at 8 o'clock. And if you come a little earlier, they have free food. And then at night, uh, downstairs, it's a kind of a, really like a cave down here. And there's three different rooms. And two you can privatize. And it's very rock and roll down here. And they, t- they really play a lot of 60s, 70s, oldies, and excellent, excellent cocktails including uh, one of my favorites was the Frida Kahlo. you got to love a, a drink named the Frida Kahlo. So uh, tell us what's in the Frida Kahlo. Well, uh, like other craft bars, and this is definitely a craft bar, um, it, it uses some interesting ingredients, including some old um, French liqueurs like chartreuse. Then you've got tequila and citron vert, of course, a little lime juice and agave and mint, uh, so it's kind of like, uh, with the little bitters, it's kind of like a tequila, but with the chartreuse, it has an interesting, um, more complex taste, if you will. Just name, name off a couple of the other drinks there on the menu, because they all seem to have very uh, original names, like, like the Frida Kahlo, what, what's a, just one or two of the other ones. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I also tried when I was here um, for the book the English confiture, which was gin. And the interesting thing, uh, gin with with lemon juice um, and orange juice and lemon curd, actually, that they make homemade. And the other kind of cool thing they do here, uh, one of the brothers uh, started Ten Bells, which is a very hip and happening coffee atelier in the 20th. And in the 20th, yeah. And then he also has a roastery. So they do um, a cocktail with coffee. And it's called the Little Belleville with bourbon and coffee liquor as well as actual, you know, actually I think they made the liquor from the coffee from the roastery. So it's, you know, super in-house and quite tasty. And it's kind of like a push-me-pull-you, a little up, a little down, kind of a good thing, sort of the middle part of the night when you need a little something to keep you going. Now, now, take us with you, just, you know, even just for a, a slight overview glimpse, take us with you as you jumped into the cocktail scene of Paris, which is quite vibrant these days, from what I hear. Absolutely. There's, um, it's sort of the golden, sort of the new golden age of cocktails. It started really in 2000 in New York, and it traveled here 2007 when the Experimental Cocktail Club opened, and they... It was kind of a mini revolution. They started a speakeasy here, and you know the French were really not used to cocktailing. Um, there, it was always tough to get a decent drink in this town for you know for as long as I've been coming here, 30 years, and uh, you had to go to a hotel bar and pay a decent amount of money. 
And now, uh, ever since then, there's been places opening just year after year, more and more and more. And now there's like 30, 40 amazing, amazing bars. The hotel bars have had to keep up. There's some cool dive bars. So we've got a little of everything in the book. But uh, the craft bar scene is what's gotten people all excited and hot and bothered. You know, what kind of a crowd? You know, I've been to a couple of them. I've been to Experimental Cocktail Club and Curio Parlor over the years. And, you know, a few of the other ones that have popped up. But, you know, say you're you're sitting down here in this cave, you know, underneath Rue d'Abukir, which is, you know, an ancient sort of red light district here in Paris. I remember it being that when I first came here in the in the 90s. It was that's what it was famous for. And now it's so hip and so trendy. Paint us a bit of a picture um, as to what what's the crowd like? Well, it really depends on which place. So there's, I would say there's three distinct areas. There's Sopi, so that's south of Pigalle Metro, up in the ninth. That's a really amazing place for craft cocktail bars. There's six, and two of them have just opened up there. And those range from um, a fancy, pretty chic night out to down and dirty. So you can run the gamut in a pub crawl if you wanted to. And it just depends on what you're in the mood for. So the craft bar scene seems to wander from, you know, really chic, like Lepicus, which is a Michelin star restaurant, has an unbelievable bar that's gorgeous in in an 18th century home with killer I mean, killer cocktails, like unbelievable off the charts. And then you've got these speakeasies, these these coves, these uh, a place. There's two places that are Louisiana themed. You know, so it, it it runs the gamut. There's something for everybody, and there's something for every age group. So if you want to wear a pair of jeans and your favorite old cashmere sweater and maybe throw on a pair of heels, you can go and kind of kick it, or you could put on your best little black dress. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. There's, I mean, we went to a place called Artesian, which is somewhere right in the middle of, it's very chic, but, you know, it's not dressy, but it's very elegant. Um, Clown Bar, which I did include some wine bars in the book, um, is a very romantic place to take, to go on a date. But then there's the, you know, uh, the bottle shop, which is like a, a funky dive bar they have one dollar or one euro bloody mary's on the weekends and actually really good cocktails behind the bar for under 10 euros so it's totally red house amazing place very much neighborhood pub kind of grungy in a in like the best possible way you know in a friendly like so there's something for everyone absolutely there's there's the up down and middle i feel so good Good as I can be. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine here on World Radio Paris. Next up, our featured in studio guest, Chef Philippe Excoffier. So, Chef Excoffier, you have the original uh, path of having worked for the American embassy here in Paris as the executive chef for over 11 years. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk to us a little bit about what kind of an experience that was? It's true that uh, it was a long period that the residence and uh, uh, amazing uh, time I had with uh, three ambassadors at the residence. It's a different way of uh, 
making uh, you know job uh, as a regular restaurant you know it's like a private house so you have to take care of your ambassadors and uh, it's true that uh, it was uh, something exceptional for me it was a privilege to work at the residence but also it was a very uh, hard job for me i arrived for the dcm the number two in uh, 1998 at the residence near the Eiffel Tower for two years and after they asked me to go at the residence of the former ambassador uh, Rue Saint-Honoré but it's a huge house with uh, many reception every day a big team and uh, it's true that uh, it was a big challenge for me voilà. but I have only uh, good memories of this period of time voilà. You know, in the in the book that I, I I leafed through, that you've put together about uh, some of the people that you served and the the menus that you created for them. I mean, people illustrious personalities, not not just presidents and heads of state, yeah. but people like Olivia de Havilland, and I mean, just so many celebrated personalities. Um, and in the, in that book that that you showed me. You know, you documented some of the the recipes and the men not not recipes, but the menus yeah. that you had served. And now, in your own restaurant, which is just around the corner from the Eiffel Tower, I mean, it's true. you couldn't be better placed. You're going to start uh, serving special dinners based on these uh, on those those previous menus that you had served at the um, at the embassy. Yes, you're right. The idea came uh, two, three, uh, two or three months ago. And uh, uh, for me, it's very important, you know, to uh, leave the, the, the context I have uh, with the residents and my uh, American friends. And uh, the idea is to create a, a dinner very special, like the residents. Each dinner as the residents have to be spectacular, you know, for personality, for president, for a, a, a woman from the... Uh, cinema, you know, and um, I had the, I, this idea because I think now when the people are going out, they don't want to go out only for eating or only to take time. They want to have also something little special. And I think to create this uh, special event could uh, help us to understand better uh, my uh, uh, life uh, uh, in the restaurant, in the, at the residence, and also to have a, a particular time in my restaurant now, uh, similar than we could have at the residence. Have you decided what the first special uh, special meal will be? You, have you decided that yet, or are you still thinking over which one you, you're going to offer? Yes, we already uh, choose the menu. It will be the 9th of uh, April, and if it works, we will do it uh, each month. And each month we will have a menu of a personality we had at the residence. And uh, I hope it will work. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I'm convinced it will work because um, I, people want to share in, in some of that um, not not limelight, but just that the specialness of the occasion and um, the, the celebration of, of having spent all that time at the embassy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, also, uh, we expect to make something very special for the 4th of July. 
it's a, a very good uh, fest, you know, uh, uh, for the American people. And in this neighborhood, I know that we have also many uh, American people living here or coming here for a uh, for vacation and take times uh, uh, to discover Paris and uh, so it's the uh, best way for us to combine the French cuisine, the American cuisine and to create a special event for the 4th of July. So it will be the, the our first dinner on April, uh, dinner à la table de l'ambassadeur and after a special event, American event as we did last year for Thanksgiving. Voilà. Great. So I'm already marking the 4th of July on my calendar for the restaurant Chef Excoffier. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chef. You're welcome. Merci. Thanks for joining us for this half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine. Myself, Paige Donner, and the rest of the team look forward to seeing you again here for the next episode of Paris, Good Food and Wine. Because it's so, so, so good.